we go back to Philippians 1, we're going, we, we've seen so far, Paul is, uh, he, he's writing to the Philippians. They are in, uh, he is in prison, he's in jail, he is uh, not sure what's going to happen. They're worried about him and he's writing to them to let them know that uh, they need to be rejoicing. Uh, and so we've seen so far that he's uh, prayed for him. He's told him, you know, I remember you every time I hear him, every time I remember you in my prayers. And uh, what we're going to see today is that uh, Paul is, Paul is an interesting fellow and he, he's interesting in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that makes up uh, his witness is joy in the midst of whatever's going on. I mean, you could hardly think of a guy that probably has suffered more for Christ than uh, Paul other than Christ himself. Uh, I mean, this guy, of course, we go through Acts and we could talk about him being beaten, him being stoned, him being dro- driven out of cities, put in prison, uh, all kind of things, shipwrecked, bitten by a viper on Malta. I mean, just go on and on and on uh, for his uh, testimony for Christ. And you get to wondering, how does this guy have joy in the midst of all these circumstances? Uh, I mean, you, you look around today, I mean, it's probably a, probably a theme that you're going to hear a lot, and it, it's a good thing, it's a right thing, so I'm not saying anything against it, but you see books and movies and, and, and songs and all kind of thing about telling you how to have joy in the midst of your hard circumstances, joy in the midst of your trials, joy in the midst of, of this and that. We got songs on, you know, I was listening to the radio, we, we were going somewhere yesterday, and uh, the radio was playing in the truck, and they were talking about people were calling into the radio station talking about how the radio station had given them so much hope in the midst of whatever. And, of course, you know the deal. I was, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other deal. But anyway, it was all about joy in the midst of your circumstances, joy in the midst of your hardships and all that kind of stuff. And you, I got to thinking, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to have joy? I mean, we have the Holy Spirit. If we're born again, we know that we're supposed to have joy in the midst of all our circumstances, no matter what goes on. Um, why is it so hard? Why is it such a fight? You see people with joy and going through the hardest stuff, and then you see somebody else on the other side who's really going through a fraction of what somebody else is going through, and it just seems like it knocks them out. Seems like it seems like it's over with. I'm a, I, I, I probably fit into that category. You know, I, Dana can have something wrong with her, something sickness or some whatever that goes on, and I mean she she's up cleaning the house, getting ready to go to work, and I I'll be in the bed, you know, going oh and moaning and groaning and uh, just for the slightest little thing. Uh, I want to show you today. Paul gives us the he gives us the answer about joy in the midst of circumstances, and it's all based on your perspective, your purpose. Um, it's based on it's based on what you're shooting for, really, because if you don't get what you're shooting for, that's that's usually when we don't have joy. But when you realize what we have, you realize what our purpose is, what our perspective is. Let me give you an example. In this text, we're going to read. We're going to read from verse 12, probably to 18. Uh, Paul is t- telling them about his joy, no matter what happens, whether he dies, whether they kill him, whether he stays in prison. You know, there's people that are preaching out there that are preaching rivalry against him. They're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it with wrong motives. And it's almost like, I don't care. I don't care. I rejoice. I rejoice in all this that's going on. Why is he rejoicing so much? Because he's looking at it from a different perspective. He's looking at it as the advancement of the gospel. That's his purpose in life. That's his purpose in life to, to glorify Christ to see the gospel go forward, to see the gospel advance, and everything else is just secondary. So you know what? If I die, if I, if I get sick, 
if I have to go to war, if I have to go to jail, if I have to get, you know, all that's just secondary. Because my purpose, this is what Paul would say, my purpose in life is the gospel. My purpose in life is to have Jesus magnified and me decrease so he can increase. And so everything else that happens, if I get shipwrecked, if I get beaten, if I get stoned, imprisoned, if I get uh, forsaken, if people go to uh, cussing my name, all these things happen to Paul. All that's just secondary, and I can rejoice because what I really want is happening. What I really want is getting done. It's like uh, there was a guy I saw one time running the Boston Marathon. And, you know, it's all kind of people get out there and they run for, I don't know how many miles a marathon is. It's like 26 maybe or 22 or something like that. But, you know, the guy that won the Boston Marathon, he's rejoicing, right? He's rejoicing, happy because he won the Boston Marathon. And there's another guy that come in last place. I mean, he cut barely finished. Well, almost, you know, it was it was EMTs out there trying to get him, help him across the finish line because he he couldn't do it. And he was rejoicing just as much as the guy who won. All these other guys are like, man, I can't believe my time stunk. I wasn't no good. I didn't do this guy's rejoicing. Why? Because his purpose was I just want to get through it. I just want to finish it. I just want to get to the end and say, I made it to the end of it. He was rejoicing where everybody else was going, you know what, I, I, maybe next time. I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't do what I wanted because his purpose, his perspective was not, I want that. And if I don't get that, I'm going to be, I'm going to be sad. His purpose was all I wanted to do is finish. And what Paul here is, he, he is, he's going to tell them, look, my purpose is not to get out of jail alive. It's not to be healthy and happy and at ease and in comfort. My purpose is just to see the gospel go forward. My purpose is to see the kingdom of God uh, manifest to bring people into the kingdom of God. And a lot of times I, I, I feel like what, what happens in our lives, we can't take joy in it because our perspective's in the wrong place. What I want is to be healthy. What I want is to be happy and comfortable and at ease. What I want is to be able to retire at a good age. What I want is to be successful. What I want is, you know, none of those things are bad things. So don't, please don't think I'm saying y'all shouldn't be after being held. Of course, that's, those are all good things. Those are all wonderful things. But if that's the purpose of my life, understand that there's going to come a point where your joy is going to disappear like that because you ain't always going to be healthy. Uh, there's going to be times that you go through suffering and tragedy and all those kind of things. When Paul was first saved, when when you remember the story with the road to Damascus, uh, the light came and blinded him and he went to Damascus and God called this man Ananias to come lay hands on him. You remember what God told Ananias? It's Acts chapter nine. If you want to look it up later, he said, you go and you lay your hands on him and you tell him I've commissioned him and all those things. And you said, and I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. And so Paul knew from the very beginning, you know, this is not going to be some easy ride. But he had joy in the midst of all the Philippians are worried now. They're worried. What's going to happen to Paul? What's going to happen to our church now that Paul is in prison? He's probably going to die. He's not may not get out alive. Paul says, you know what? No matter what happens, my purpose, my perspective is the gospel. And therefore, I can have joy. I can have joy in the midst of all these things that God tells us in, in Colossians. Uh, set your affections on things above. Don't set them here below. So let me just read the text and then we'll go back and take it apart piece by piece. It'll probably be short this morning. He says in verse 12, we got to a verse 11 last time. It says, but I, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out. Rather, fallen out means they have taken place rather 
unto the furtherance of the gospel. The things that have happened to me have happened so that the gospel would go forward of the furtherance of the gospel. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all of the places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife and some of goodwill. The one preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other one, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for defense of the gospel. And then he says, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein do, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Christ Jesus. Okay, so he says, let me go on. To, let me read 20. According is my earnest expectation, my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So that's a whole lot to take at one time. Let's take it apart and look at it. Look at it real close. Um, basically, what he's showing us is that his purpose is not. Just to get out alive, his purpose is not to be comfortable at ease or any of those things. His, his purpose, the goal of his life, his perspective is that Christ be magnified, that the gospel go forward. And he gives three things here, and I'm, I'm going to show these three things to you, that you and I are called to be in every circumstance. I don't care if you love your job or if you hate your job. You're called to do these three things. You're called to be a witness in the midst of wherever you are. You're called to encourage and exhort the brethren in the midst of wherever you are. And you're called to glorify Christ in the midst of wherever you are. This is what Paul is saying right here. I don't care if you're in in hospital with no hope of ever getting out. You're called to do them three things in your bed. And I've seen them done from a hospital bed. You, I don't care if you're in a dead end job that you hate and there's no way out of it and you just wish you could do something else while you're there. You're called to do the three things. I don't care if you're in your family life is all messed up and you just praying for something to happen. That's good. That's a wonderful thing. But while you're there, you're called to be them three things. I don't care if you're the richest man on the planet or you're the poorest person to live in a shack. I don't care if they're fixing to take away your house. Or if you've got houses all over the country, you're called to do these three things right here. No matter where you're at, no matter what circumstances you're in, Paul was in prison. He couldn't go anywhere. And he did these three things. He was a witness for Christ right where he was, no matter who was coming and going. He was an encouragement and an example for the brethren there in Rome. He was in prison and he glorified Christ and he sought to glorify Christ, whether it whether it was in his life or in his death. And so let's look at these one at a time and and we'll go after that. It says in verse 12 and 13, we read it. It says, but I would you understand, brethren, that things which happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds are manifest in all the palace and in all of the places. Now, the uh, palace there is the 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 word praetorium It's uh, used in Acts for the Roman guard. And so what he's talking about here is Paul's under guard. He he's in Rome and he is under this guard was Caesar's personal guard. And it wasn't just four or five dudes. It was like nine thousand of them. History. We can go back in Roman history and you can look. It was nine. It wasn't nine thousand people guarding Paul, but they were taking shifts. There was nine thousand of this guard that did different things. They were Caesar's bodyguards and they guarded the palace and they they did all kind of things. And they were influential people. I mean, you go back and look at Roman history. It was these guys, this guard here that assassinated the emperor Caligula and put in Claudius 
and all kinds of, so these weren't just podunk people. These were, these were people with some influence. These were people that, you know, that, that kind of had it going on there in Rome. And how would they have ever heard the gospel? I mean, they're in the, they're in this Roman garrison. They're in this palace. They're in this, uh, uh, Praetorian guard. And how would they have ever heard the gospel? The people that were preaching the gospel were, were out in the shops and in the homes and all these things. And so Paul goes to Rome in prison. You know, he appealed to Caesar in Acts and they bring him as a prisoner to Rome and he's sitting there in prison. And these guys are probably taking shifts, maybe one or two at a time would come in, maybe four or six hour shifts. And, and you know, they were sitting there and they would go, well, why am I guarding you? What are you here for? Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. I'm here about this man called Jesus because I follow him. And they would say, of course, the next question, who is this Jesus? And then Paul would get to, Paul would get to talk to them about Christ, about what God, what God did through his son, about what, what Jesus did on the cross and dying and rising again and how Paul was being persecuted for his testimony and all these kind of things. He said, look, the things that have happened to me, Philippians, I don't want you to be all sad and weepy and worried. Understand that God didn't, God didn't come out this morning and say, dang, I wish that didn't happen to Paul. The things that have happened to me have happened so that the gospel will be furthered, so that the kingdom would go forward. He says the first way the kingdom's going forward is that in my bonds, in my chains, he says Christ is manifest in all the palace and all other places. Paul was a witness wherever he was. It doesn't matter if he was in jail. It doesn't matter if he was free walking the land. It doesn't matter if he was at the end of a persecutor's whip. He was a witness to Christ. And you and I are called to be witness to Christ as no matter where we are. You got something you're hoping for in this life? You got a better job, a better house, a better circumstance, whatever? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. Nothing wrong with praying for that. But where you are at today, I'm talking about right now. With everything that you've got going on right now, you're called to be a witness. You're not called to be waiting around to be a witness. You're not called to say, you know what, if I could just get this right, if I could just get this settled and done, then I can go ahead and do what I'm called to do. No, you're called to do it every minute of every day in your terrible job, in your terrible situation, in your bad health, in your bad circumstances, no matter what goes on. Even if a tornado blows your house down tomorrow, on the day that you get up and you see it, you're going to be sad, you're going to be worried, you're going to be all those kind of things. But in those things, you're called to be a witness. Now understand If that's the desire of your heart, the goal of your heart, I'm not saying you won't be sad. I'm not saying you want to fight with worry. I'm not saying you have to struggle with these things. But do you see how joy is the result? Everything is an opportunity. When when I go through suffering, when I go through trial, when I go through tribulation, that gives me a pristine golden opportunity to be a witness for Christ. Do you see how that works? I'll give you an example. I go, I go to, uh, if I, if I walk in, if I walk into like fourth floor of the hospital, that's where they do all the rehab on your knees and your joints and your stuff. If you have surgery, you know, and, and I got a, I got a guy that's in there, you know, he's only going to be there a couple days, two or three days. They're going to send him home. He's going to go about his life. You know, it's all good. I'm going to pray for you. You know, you want to tell me a story. That's fine. It's all good. Wonderful. But if I walk into the ninth floor where, where there ain't nowhere to go, but up. 
And this guy's probably never going to leave this room. If he if he wants to talk, if he wants to tell me something, I'm going to pay a little closer attention to that. Don't you see? You see how that works? I'm going to say I'm going to understand that this guy has he's got something to say. The guy that speaks from his deathbed, let's say, will have a whole lot more to say to you than the guy who's, you know, just going about life. You know, that guy might be talking about the weather. He might be talking about the football game. He might be talking about the what. But this guy. This guy, when I know he, he's going through a trial, I'm talking about he's for real going through a trial. When he is a witness, when he is the one who lifts up Christ, people take heed of that. That how can you go through that and still be a witness? How can you, how can you, you know, go through that circumstance, whatever it is, whether it be the sickness that you're going in or tragedy that strikes your family or, you know, losing a, a loved one. How can you stand up on that day when everything else is hurting, when, when nobody is expected to, to be able to stand and to be strong? How can you go through that and still be a witness for Christ? That's your purpose. That's Paul's purpose. He could say, you know what? I'm in jail and I'm not going nowhere and it's a pretty good chance that I'm going to die here. He didn't know for sure that he was going to get out. It's a pretty good chance they're going to execute me. But that's what I'm here for. My purpose is being fulfilled. I'm not here to get out alive. I'm not here to retire early. I'm not here to be at ease and at comfort and all those things. I'm here for the advancement of Christ. I'm here for the advancement of the gospel. And he says, in, in this, I rejoice. He's a witness. He's a witness no matter where he's at. And of course, you all know that. The second thing was he's an encourager and an example for the people, the brethren there in Rome. He says, look, um, many of the brethren in the Lord in verse, man, it's small. Verse 14, many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Can you imagine what's going on? They know that Paul's in prison. They know that he's suffering. They know that he's probably never going to get out alive. And they start looking around at themselves. You know, it's pretty dangerous to be a Christian in Rome at this time. Nero's the Caesar. Not, you know, you might, you might want to hide a little bit. You might want to duck down a little bit and make sure you don't make any waves. Let anybody know you're around. But they saw Paul in prison. They saw God using Paul in Caesar's own household. God's using him. God's converting people. God's kingdom is going. And you know what? It it gives them a little boldness. It says, you know what? God's in control. I can go ahead and I can go ahead and preach. I can go ahead and minister. I can go ahead and witness. I can be a testimony and I can do it loudly because even if they arrest me, I'm going to be right there with Paul. You ever notice that some people, depending on how you, depending on how you go through circumstances, will depend on what other people think of Christ, what other people think of Christianity, what other people think of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. When the smallest little thing knocks you down and you know what, I I just can't go on. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take a break for a while. I'm gonna take a sabbatical. You know what? Christ must not be really big in you. That's what people would think. But when you see someone that goes through this, the hardest thing you could possibly imagine. And of course they're hurt. Of course they're going through all these things. Of course they're, they're maybe worried about the outcome, but they stand for Christ and they bear up under those things, knowing that he is the joy of our soul, knowing that weeping endures for, for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When they stand for those things, the brethren around them, the lost people around them look and say, how in the world? Can you go through that? How in the world can you stand so strong in the midst of all this? And then you have an opportunity right there. That is the opportunity to say, you know what? Christ in me 
is what does it. And someone will look at Paul and say, look, this guy's about to get his head chopped off. I mean, this guy's about to go down. That's it. And they were just as scared of death back then as we are today. It wasn't a different thing. And so they look at Paul and he's not scared. He says, you know what? I don't care. The gospel's going for it. Whether I, whether I live, whether I die, I don't care. People were looking and saying, if he could do that, what's my excuse? What's my problem? If he's in jail, he, this guy's in jail, in chains, can't go anywhere. The only people, he's got some friends that are coming and going. You see that in Acts. But really, the only people that he has contact with on a day-to-day basis is the Roman soldiers. And this guy, God can use this guy to bring forth fruit for the gospel, advance the kingdom. And here I am, free, can do whatever I want, go wherever I want. This is what the guys in Rome would say, the Christians in Rome. What is my problem? When, when so-and-so can be in the hospital and be a witness for Christ to all the people there, what's my problem? I'm going to work every day, coming home, going to the movies, going to, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. How come I can't be a witness when everything's normal, feels normal, when people are being a, a great witness when everything's falling apart? You and I are called to be that encouragement, that example to the brethren. You're called not just in your suffering and your circumstances, but in everyday life. When people look at you, they see this guy. I'm not saying you're the holiest person in the room. I'm not saying that you're beating people in the head with a Bible. What I'm saying is that your perspective, your purpose, I shouldn't have made everything peas because I'm spitting everywhere. Your purpose in life is the advancement of the gospel. That's what they see. It's not that I'm so strong. It's not that you're so powerful and that you don't have to worry about anything and you don't have sadness and you don't have any of those things. It's that that's not what's driving me. My joy is in the gospel. I want Christ to be magnified. It's what Paul would say. I want the gospel to go forth. And no matter what happens, I know God's in control and God is moving in that direction. So in that, I can rejoice. Paul can say, you know what? I'm here in chains and it's, it's all good. Because number one, I'm getting to be a witness to all these Romans. He said, the whole palace knows that I'm in bonds for Christ. Number two, he says, people, people are out there getting, they're, they're getting bold and confident knowing that I'm here and, and they're starting to preach the gospel out there. But look what he also says. He says, there's some people that are preaching the gospel that are really not for me, but they're still preaching the gospel. He says, he says, uh, And many of the brethren, verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even out of envy and strife. Some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. And so we're not exactly told who these people are, but you can you can you can surmise a few things about them. I mean, they're not heretics for sure. Because Paul's glad that they're preaching. You know, there's, you could go through Galatians, Corinthians, Colossians. He, he was pretty hard on those preaching false, false doctrine, false gospel. So they're not heretics. That they have a, the, the motive that they're preaching Christ from, it says strife and envy. So this is what I'm thinking, and I can't prove it, and you can't disprove it, so it, it don't matter. But what I'm thinking is, he doesn't tell us who they are. What I'm thinking is, these, these Christian guys in Rome who, 
you know, uh, were, were preachers or whatever. When Paul's a pretty famous guy, you know, when he comes, gets locked up in Rome, all of a sudden they're thinking, you know, Paul is there and the, his name is going out and, and people are knowing that he's in prison and, 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 you know, they're hearing about him and the whole city's talking about Paul and maybe one of the guys there that, that, uh, has a house church there and is a, is a preacher or a minister or whatever is thinking, well, uh, I've been here for 15 years and all of a sudden Paul comes to town, y'all talking about Paul. And he goes, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just start preaching. I'm, this is all coming out of my brain. I'm just saying it could be. They're preaching it out of strife and envy. What do they want to do? They want to add affliction to Paul's bonds. That's what he said. There's some of them that are not preaching out of the right intention. They're preaching out of wrong motives. They're against me. They're preaching out of strife. And they're preaching out of envy. They want to add affliction. They, they think by maybe preaching hard and making Christ known and getting Christianity all through every street in Rome that it's going to make it harder on me because this thing is welled up in the city and the, the gospel's going forth and people are hearing the gospel and they're going to hear about me and, and the Caesar's going to come and he's going to say, you started this big thing in my city and they're going to kill me sooner. And Paul says, you know what? I don't care. As long as Christ is being preached, I don't care why you're preaching it. That's what he says in verse uh, 16. Some preached, verse 16, the one preached of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other love knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. And in verse 18, he says, what then? He says, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense, that is the ones preaching out of envy and strife, or in truth, Christ is preached. And he said, and in that, I rejoice. That's what I'm here for anyway. So think about it for a moment. Think about it just for a minute. Paul is being persecuted from the outside, trials, jail, prison. He's also being attacked from the inside. People that are supposed to be his friends, supposed to be with him, supposed to be on the same team as him, uh, preaching the same message as him, but they're doing it because they don't like him and they want him gone. They got a rivalry or envy or some kind of jealousy thing going on. So he's being attacked from the outside, being attacked from the inside. And he could say, you know what? I can rejoice anyway, because really what I'm after, the purpose of my life is getting accomplished. The gospel's getting preached. Everything's going forward. That's what I want. So it doesn't matter. You, can, you can't look at, you can't, I, I would defy anyone to look at Paul and say, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Please. He got attacked pretty much every day of his life. This is, by this time, he has been preaching for over 25 years, being run out of cities, being spent his life being persecuted, cast down but not destroyed, shipwrecked, stoned, imprisoned, beaten with rods. I mean, he has suffered for Christ. And now at the end, if there was anybody, I mean, if there was anybody who had the right to say, well, God, how could this end up to me? How could I end up like this? I mean, after all that I've done for you, I pretty much gave my, this is what Paul was saying. I pretty much gave my life for you, God. I gave my life. I did what you called me to do. I went from city to city. I didn't, I didn't invest anything in my own life, in my own earthly circumstances, in my own comfort, in my own ease. I gave it all to you. I took beating after beating for you. I've done all this for you. I've, I've not only done these things for you, but I've suffered for you more than probably anybody uh, around me has. How can you just let me end up in prison? Is this how it ends? After a life of doing you, Paul didn't think that way. Why? Because that wasn't his purpose in life. 
His purpose was to see Christ and his kingdom magnified. And he had joy. He had joy because his perspective was not on what I can get, what I can do. Now, if you're thinking, well, I want to have joy. So I'm going to change my perspective. You're kind of getting it backwards. The point is not that you, I want joy, so I'm going to go out and do this. The point is you will have joy when the purpose of your life, the direction of your life, the focus of your life is on Christ and him glorified. On Christ and his kingdom going forward. Why? Because that's going to happen regardless. Doesn't matter if you go through this or if you go through that or if bad things happen or if you're not in the place where you think you ought to be. If circumstances ain't working out exactly the way you want them to be too, in your job, in your family, in your whatever, it doesn't matter. That's not the purpose of your life. If you're born again by the Spirit of God, the purpose of your life is to see the gospel move forward. And you can do that no matter where you are, by being a witness, by being an example to the brethren. Last thing before we go. He says, I want to just glorify Christ. I want to glorify Christ, whether that means I die here or whether I live here. In verse 19 and 20, it says, For I know that this shall turn out to my salvation. Salvation there is deliverance. He's, he's wanting to get delivered from the prison. And who wouldn't? He says, I know this is going to turn out for my salvation through your prayer and the, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Probably going to talk more about that next week. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, this is his hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Look at that. My only, my only request, the only thing I'm after, my earnest expectation. He said I'm, later, he's going to say a few verses later, he says, you know, it's probably better for you if I live because I'm going to be working and, and bearing fruit among you. But his only expectation is that. He be not ashamed, but be bold. What he's, at, what he's saying there is all I want to do is I want to die well. I want to serve well. Whatever it is that I have to do, whether it be life, death, whether it be torture, whether it be here in Rome or wherever else I go, I just want God to give me the strength to endure, to be bold as always. Christ, so Christ will be magnified in my body. Understand can you imagine praying something like this? When, I don't know about you, but when, when, when things happen in my life, what I want is I want out of the trap. I want out of the suffering. I want out of the trial. I want out of the circumstance. And that's where my prayers are. Nothing wrong with praying that either, by the way. We're called to make supplication. Let our requests be made known. Called to do that. So there's nothing wrong with that. But that's the, the extent of my prayer. I catch myself, I don't hardly ever catch myself saying, God, just give me the strength to go through it. Usually I'm saying, God, get me out. I want to jump ship right now. I want out. Paul's saying, look, the things that have happened to me are happening for the furtherance of the gospel. And they're supposed to be happening the way that they're happening. So my earnest expectation is not just that I live and just that, Everything's fine and I don't have to worry about anything anymore. My earnest expectation is that God will give me boldness. That Christ will be magnified in my body. Whether that body is going to his death or whether that body is going to get out of jail and continue serving Christ. He says, whether it's life 
or whether it's death. You see the point that he's making? The goal is not to survive. The goal is not to be comfortable. The goal is not to be at ease. The goal is the kingdom of God advancing. All he wants is Christ to be magnified in my body. If that means I have to die, fine. If that means I I get to get out and continue serving Christ, fine. In a moment or later on, in the next few verses, he's going to say, I think it's the next verse. He says, if I live, that's Christ. I get to serve him more. And if I die, that's gain. I get to go and be with Christ. And he's going to say, I don't even know which one I'd rather do. He says, so all I want is the boldness to be able to magnify Christ in my body, whether it means I die or whether it means I live. You ever prayed that way? Understanding that no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that you're called to go through, you are called and I are called to magnify Christ, even in the midst of your suffering. Brother Eddie said something pretty profound the other day. I don't remember where we were, but we were talking about people in really hard circumstances, not actual people, but we were just talking in general, hypothetical. He said, you know, even he said, even when the worst happens and he describes some situation that doesn't give you a right to be mean to folks, you know, when they come visit you in the hospital or whatever. And that's pretty profound, pretty profound statement. He says, look, whether I live, whether I die, what I want is I want Christ to be magnified in me. I want Christ to be magnified. You never, ever have the right to drag Christ's name through the mud, no matter what you're going through. And if you look around and say, well, you just don't understand, more than likely, you probably don't understand. Because a lot of people have gone through worse than you, and I know people have gone through worse than I've ever gone through. And so he says, whether I live or whether I die, as we end up here... We use this language that says, I've given my life to Christ. Have you ever given your life to Christ? Can we just think about giving your life to Christ? We use that language. There's nothing wrong with that. But think about what you're saying right there. When you say, I've given my life to Christ. Well, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. I gave my life to Christ last week. I gave my, uh, I don't have no problem using that language. I mean, I don't, uh, it's not wrong to use that language is what I'm saying. But think about what you're saying. Have you really given your life to Christ? That means he can do whatever he wants to with it. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've trusted in him and say, you know what, I'm yours and you do with me whatever you want to do. Then you ought to be okay if he says, okay, I need you to suffer for my name. I need you to go through some circumstances that other people wouldn't be able to go through so that you can show how glorious I am. So you can magnify my name. I need you to step out to where most people are really going to have a hard time. I need you to go off into danger. I need you to go off into suffering. I need you, I need you to stand strong in the midst of all these circumstances that other people ain't going to be able to handle so that they can see me and you. I don't need you to be strong. I need you to be weak. Because it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. What I need you to do is just endure. I need you to understand that no matter what goes on, no matter where I send you, no matter where I lead you, no matter what I've called you to be a part of, no matter what trials I've called you to go through, understand that the reason, the purpose of your life is not to just be happy and have it all going on and be comfortable. The purpose of your life is to magnify Christ. That's what Paul would say here. He says, the only thing I want is that Christ be magnified in my body, whether whether life 
whether, whether death. Now, one more thing and then we'll go. We'll read this um, later on in this, uh, in this passage. Let me just read verse 29 and verse 30. Uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. But I just want you to see how Paul ends this. There wasn't no chapter divisions then, but how Paul ends this section when he's talking to these Philippians. He tells them, For unto you it was given in the behalf of Christ, look, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul is not some super apostle that goes through things that you and I are not called to go through. He's telling the Philippians here, look, it's been given to you not just to believe. Not just to sit there and believe and come and take part in service. It's also given you to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his name. Understand you probably, some of y'all, most of y'all won't go off to war and suffer for his sake. Most of y'all won't have somebody bust in with a machine gun and make you suffer for his sake. It's not impossible, but most, most of us won't. But you're going to go through this fallen world just like I am, just like everybody else is. You're going to get old. You're going to get sick. People that you love are going to start passing away when you get older. Things are going to happen in your life. Tragedy is going to happen. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of evil fallen people. Things are going to happen and you are called to suffer for his name's sake. What good is it, brethren, if you endure suffering because of your unrighteousness? Peter says that. You need to endure for his sake. And so what he's saying to you here, the three things that I, the three things that spoke to me as I read this passage, I can just put myself on it, is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you live, whether I live, whether I die, whether I suffer, whether worse things happen to me. And, and if something awful happens to me tomorrow, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm going to be sad. I'll be grieving. I'll be going through the same thing. So you, you don't look at me and say, well, I thought you said, I'm saying you will go through those things. You will be sad. You will worry. You will grieve. You will fight with all of those things. And I would just like anybody else. But the purpose of your life, if you settle that purpose, that perspective that, you know what? I'm not here just to feel good. I'm not here just to succeed. I'm not here just to have, I mean, we can take it on down. I'm not here just to raise good children. I'm not here just to have a great family and to take care of them. I am here to do that. That's a good purpose. Nothing wrong with that. And I'm not throwing it out the window, but that's not number one. Number one, the reason I'm here is to glorify Christ, to make his name known and to know him more. I'm called to be a witness. I'm called to be an example to all the brothers and sisters around me, whether they like me or not, whether they're witnessing and preaching out of envy and strife or whether they're preaching because they love me and have goodwill for me and they want to help me. I'm called to be an example to the ones that hate me. I'm talking about my brothers and sisters, talking about the church. Now, I'm not talking about the enemies out there that hate me. I'm called to be an example to them, whether they like me or not. And I'm called to glorify Christ in my body, whether it means I live for another 80 years or I die tomorrow. I'm called to be a witness in every circumstance. I'm called to be an example in every circumstance. And I'm called to glorify Christ in my body in every circumstance. What if he calls you to suffer? What if he calls you to go somewhere that really don't want to go? 
What if he calls you to do something that you don't want to do? I said this the other day. We, we're talking about the world and how things are shaking out. It's kind of funny. People say that they're ready to die for Christ when it don't seem like they're ready to go to church for him. Ready to die for Christ. Not ready to be an encouragement to the brethren for him. Even if the brethren hate you. Even if they don't all have good motives. Ready to die for Christ. Stand in the street in front of tanks and die for Christ. But now when everything's good and you've got opportunity, opportunity, not ready to live for him. Do you really think if comfort and pleasure can take me out of living for Christ, you really think you're going to stand against a tank? What if he called you to suffer for his name? On the other hand, what if today you're not going through any suffering? Man, don't we owe him some praise? Don't we owe him some glory? We owe him some... We owe him to magnify him in our bodies knowing that we're called to suffer. But we owe, him, we, owe, we owe it to magnify him in our bodies even the more when we're not suffering. When we're not having to go. When everything is good. When everything does feel. I mean, there's nothing. I got struggles like you do and everybody does. But there's nothing that's over my head weighing me down. It shouldn't take suffering for us to magnify Christ and take joy in him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We ask, God, that you'd give us the, the understanding to, to just 